In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus pictures his second coming. He identifies himself as a king. And we know that when Jesus came to earth, he came to serve as the king of kings and lord of lords. He has a kingdom that he established. He bought it with his blood, purchased with that blood. And those of us who belong to that body, we've been redeemed, reconciled. We enjoy all the spiritual blessings that coincide with being one of his children. In Matthew chapter 25, one of the things that Jesus stresses to all of us is the fact that when he comes, he will hold us accountable for how we have conducted ourselves in this life. So today we want to ask the question, are you ready for the king to come? Whether we like it or not, the king is coming. That's one of the great things that he emphasizes in this chapter. Now bear in mind that the Lord Jesus speaks these words in the shadow of the cross. He would be put to death on Calvary crucified between two thieves, rising the third day to die no more, to be declared the Son of God. And so, as the divine Son of God has ascended to heaven, the text tells us He'll come again, and that's what Jesus is saying. The King's going to come, and so the question, are we ready for the King when He comes? We'll just begin by talking first about the advent of the king. Jesus had the ability to present lessons with such great clarity that in many respects, it's hard to miss, isn't it? He was called the master teacher for a reason, because he had the ability to communicate with people, with the educated as well as the uneducated. Jesus had that ability to connect with the hearts and minds of people. And so in Matthew chapter 25, he pictures the day when he as the king will come in his glory with the holy angels. I have no idea how many angels reside in heaven. But I know that what the Lord says here, that at his second coming they will accompany Him. And Jesus said He would be seated upon a throne. Before Him would be gathered all nations, and He would begin to separate them as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. He would set the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. So what about His coming? Well, number one, to understand something about the surety of His coming. There are people today, if we were to talk to them about the second coming of Christ, literally they might laugh in our face. I mean, the idea of God coming to redeem His people, laughable in the eyes of many. And yet you remember back in chapter 24, Jesus said, but of that day and hour knows no man. Not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Jesus there stressing the fact that He will come again. In Matthew chapter 25, He makes 
No bones about it. He's coming. Over and over again in the New Testament, we read about the surety of His coming. But then, not just the surety of His coming, but the suddenness of His coming. Now, there are a lot of people that have tried to identify the day, the month, the year in which the Lord will come. But as we noted a minute ago, Jesus said of that day and hour, knows no man. If somebody tells you that they know when the Lord's coming, you can just mark it down. They have no idea what they're talking about. Because Jesus said no one knows that. Not even the angels of heaven. The angels that will one day accompany Him are not privileged to that kind of information. Oh, but He'll come. Now, with regard to the suddenness of His coming. Back in chapter 24, He talked about the days of Noah. And He said, in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, they're going about business. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes, He might come early in the morning while we're still fast asleep. It might be the case that the Lord will come as we're making preparation to leave our home to go and to put in a productive day on, on, the, on the job or at the workplace. It might be that the Lord will come in the evening time. The bottom line is we don't know, but He's coming. Now, here's what, here's what Jesus said with regard to the days of Noah. He said they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and took them all away. And here's his point. So shall be the coming of the Son of Man. And then he goes on to say that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief would have come, he said he would have watched. Now, compare that to what Peter said over in 2 Peter chapter 3 when he wrote, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works therein will be burned up. So all the things that we've accumulated in this life, if the Lord comes prior to our decease, what we see with the visible eye will ultimately perish. As John said, 2 John chapter 2, the world is passing away. The world as we know it will be destroyed. And yet, that's the setting that Jesus provides for us here. Now we talk about the king and the fact that the king's coming. To understand something about the surety of his coming. It's not if he's coming, because He is. The question is, when's He coming? We don't know. And so His exhortation, watch therefore. You need to be ready. You need to be on guard. Why? Because the King's coming. Now, when the King comes, He'll hold us accountable, won't He? Now, the Apostle Paul, over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, would say that the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, 
The dead in Christ will rise. Can you imagine what a day that'll be? I mean, can you picture in your mind that day and time when the trumpet's going to sound? We'll hear the voice of an archangel. And the Lord will appear to take us home. So what about our accountability to the king? Now we live in a day and time when, sadly, people are not willing to take ownership for what they do and, in many respects, what they say. And yet what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 25 is accountability to the king. You remember earlier in this chapter, he talked about a man who was traveling to a far country. And he called his servants before him and began to distribute to them his goods. To one man he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. He said, to each according to his own ability. As we've noted before, not everyone has the same talent. Talents and abilities in that context are not synonymous. You have unique abilities. We all have abilities that set us apart from one another. We have natural abilities, and then we nurture those abilities. But in Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus pictures that businessman that has gone away, he said after many days he comes back and he's going to hold those servants into whose hands he had committed talents accountable. The first, you remember, came before him. And this man said, Lord, you delivered me delivered to me five talents. He said, look, I've gained five more. The second man, given two talents, doubled those talents. The third man, however, came forth, and the Bible says that this man had dug a hole in the ground and deposited his Lord's money. So he didn't do anything with it. And so in that parable, Jesus emphasized accountability. And that's exactly what he's doing here. So what about our accountability to the king? Now when you think about the unique abilities that you possess, I want you to see something that Jesus bears out in Matthew chapter 25. To those on the right hand, you remember he said, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. He said that I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked, you clothed me. Sick and in prison, you visited me. Now I want to ask you a question. What unique abilities do you have to have to give somebody something to eat. What unique abilities do you need to give someone a glass of water? Provide clothing for them. To visit those who are sick and hurting. I mean, 
Any unique abilities needed? Not a single one. And yet, these people, these saints, we talk about the commissioning of the saints or the commission of the saints. Does the Lord expect us to serve in His kingdom? Well, that ought to be obvious. I mean, absolutely. How do you think Jesus taught people to serve in the first century? You remember what Paul said in Acts chapter 20? The Lord went about doing good. You remember Jesus, it was said of Jesus in Acts chapter 20, that the Lord Jesus taught it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now there are people in our world today, quite frankly, they are takers. They're not givers. They're not interested in giving anyone anything. But they'll take anything you have. And what Jesus is saying here is, if you want to be on the right side of the ledger, then you need to be in the giving business. It's about serving in the kingdom of God. Go back and read about the apostles. You remember how they were jockeying for position in the kingdom of God? On one occasion, they're questioning among themselves who among them would be the greatest and Jesus said, look, you've got it all wrong. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Here's how you become great. Serve. That's the key. Matter of fact, Jesus said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. To give His life a ransom for the many. So we talk about here were saints. They were doing what they could to advance His kingdom. Servanthood. I mean, that's what it's all about. You're talking about the work of Almighty God. It's about serving one another. Now, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we have this checkbox mentality. And the idea is that if we come in on Sunday morning and clock in, and then clock out, We've done our work. We've done what we need to do for the week. And yet what Jesus is saying, and he's not, he's not trying to suggest to anyone that worship is not important. But what he's saying is when it comes to his kingdom, his church, it goes far beyond merely worshiping on the first day of the week. It's about serving in the kingdom. Now you remember, they asked the question, these saints that have been served, Lord, when did we see you hungry and give you something to eat? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? Or when did we see you naked and give you something to wear? Or sick and in prison and come to you? And Jesus said, inasmuch as you did it to one of these least of my disciples, you did it unto me. But now, the second class of people. On the one hand, you have the commission of the saints. That is, here are people that are trying to do what they can to serve the Lord. But then you have the omission of the saints. Well, what do I mean by that? Oh, here were people that neglected. You know, sometimes it's not what we do, it's what we don't do that defines us. 
Jesus said, I was hungry, and guess what? You didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was naked, you didn't give me anything to wear. I was a stranger, you didn't, you didn't take me in. Sick and in prison, you didn't come to me. And they wanted to know, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked? When did we see you as a stranger or sick and in prison? And what Jesus is saying is opportunities abound. They're all around us. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells a parable that I think strikes at the heart of what we're talking about in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember that parable? The fellow was on his way to Jericho. And as he made his way down to Jericho, the Bible says he fell among thieves. They beat him, stripped him of his apparel, departed, leaving him half dead. And then Jesus said, a priest makes his way to the scene, sees this man in need, and you know what the Bible says? He passed by on the other side. Next up, a Levite. Now, all priests are from the Levitical tribe, but not every Levite is a priest. So you have this religious man, this fellow that is very involved in things pertaining to worship. And he just passes right on by. Well, the Levite comes up and he sees this man in need and guess what he does? Passes by on the other side. Can you imagine that? I mean, here's somebody in need, real need. And what'd they do? Well, they were religious. I mean, from the right tribe. They were Jews. And yet Jesus said they walked right by that man in need. Now I want to ask you a question. Are there people in need in this community? Are there people in need in the Mid-South area? You know, it might be the case that we have this idea that, and I would grant that we live in an affluent area by and large. But there are people in this area, in this community, that really don't have very much at all. Matter of fact, I would put it like this. Did you know that there are children in our school system that leave school on Friday and wonder what they're going to have to eat over the weekend. Did you know that? Did you know that? They don't know if they're going to have another meal till they come back to school on Monday. Does that bother you? When I heard that, it hurt me to my core. There are small children in this community that don't have enough to eat. That's just one example. So here's the point. Now you know it. And my question is, what are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Anything? What was it Jesus said? I was hungry and what would you do? Oh, you gave me something to eat. 
I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was naked. You gave me something to wear. I was a stranger. You took me in. Sick and in prison. Now listen very carefully. When you talk about kingdom business, the work of the king, and that's what this is. This is kingdom business. You better be ready to get your hands dirty. Do you know what I mean? I think sometimes we want to float in and float out and do our own thing. And we really don't want to get involved in the lives of other people. We're not interested in the plight of other people. But let me tell you what, if we want to go to heaven, we better be. We better be, we better be trying to do what we can, when we can, and where we can, and as long as we can. You agree? Yes or no? Now listen. We live in an area of affluence. And for most of us, we have what we need. But as I said last week, it's not just about using what we have for ourselves. It's about using what we have individually and collectively as the church of Christ in this community to do what we can. And let me tell you what, if we don't, you better not leave here today thinking that the Lord will not hold you accountable. He will hold all of us accountable. He's going to hold every single person here accountable. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter your gender, your educational background. And by the way, again, look at Matthew chapter 25. These are not unique abilities. To give something to eat to somebody who's hungry. To give a cup of water to somebody who's thirsty to provide adequate clothing for someone who doesn't have apparel? I mean, come on. How many times have we read this parable or read this account and it's just flown right over our heads? I'm going to say this because I think it's true. I think too many times we see but we don't see. We hear, but we do not hear. Listen, every single word in Scripture is meaningful to every single one of us. There are no exclusions. We're all accountable to God. So you got those saints who were working and laboring and serving in the kingdom of God. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 6, 10, As we have opportunity, are there opportunities about us? Yes, Jesus is saying that. You've got opportunities. And if Jesus were here on earth today, I think He'd ask us, what are you doing about it? What are you doing to meet the opportunities that come your way. Listen, that window is open. At some point in time, that window's going to close. 
that window of opportunity to help, go back and look again at Luke 10. That man that had been victimized by thieves, that priest and Levite had a one-time opportunity to help that man, and they didn't do it. And then here comes this lowly, despised Samaritan. And what does he do? This outcast, somebody that was looked down upon by the Jewish people, and certainly by the priest and the Levites. And you remember what Jesus said? When he saw that man, he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Set him on his own beast or animal. Took him to an inn. And then took care of him. Then he goes to the innkeeper, gives him two denarii, a couple of days' wages, and says, look, whatever more you spend, when I come again, guess what, I'll repay. Now, was he obligated to do that? They might tell him, you know what, you need to take care of this man. And oh, by the way, if there's more expenses involved, you need to take care of that. Well, why would he do that? Because Jesus is teaching a lesson there about loving one another. When we love people as the Lord loved people, guess what? We minister to them. We render aid to them. We help them. We do what we can. Solomon said, give to him who asks from you. In other words, somebody has a need, and we can meet that need, we need to do it. Now, those folks on the left, the goats, remember they asked the Lord Jesus. They said, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked, a stranger, sick and impressed? When did we see this? Well, there are opportunities all around them. They just chose to live in spiritual blindness. So, let's think thirdly about the appointment by the king, or the appointments by the king. I want you to listen very carefully to what Jesus said. Go back and look again at the parable of the talents. To the fellow that had doubled those five talents, to the fellow that had doubled those two talents, Jesus said, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of our Lord. And Jesus said to those on the right hand, those folks that have been serving, the Lord Jesus said, The king will say to them, Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world. And why? Oh, because I was hungry. And here's what you did. You fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. Stranger, you took me in. Sick and in prison, you visited me. So what do you have? Words of commendation, don't you? We would say eternal salvation. Now look, I'm not saying that we work our way to heaven. I've never taught that. Would never teach that. But I do believe in the principle that we have been saved to serve. Do you believe that? You know, Paul said... We've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men 
that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. How is it that people know we belong to the Lord by what we do and what we say? And we back up what we say with what we do. We are people who are interested in others. You know what was the drawing power of Jesus in many respects in the first thing? I can tell you what. I can tell you what it was. He was kind, compassionate, caring, and tender-hearted, wasn't he? Some of his most stinging remarks were directed at those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. But you take that little lady at the well in Sychar, Jacob's well. Remember her? Married five times, living with a guy. The Lord had time for her, didn't He? Or what about Zacchaeus, that tax collector? You know what? You know how they were, you know, they were the downcast. Matter of fact, folks looked down at those people. And yet Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, and Jesus went into his home and dined with him. What about Matthew, a tax collector? Remember the religious upper crust? They wanted to know, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors? And I mean, why would he associate with those folks? I can tell you why. Because he cared about them. People don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. If you don't know anything else about Christianity to understand that we've got to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and we've got to love our neighbor as ourselves. And when we genuinely love people, guess what? We serve people. So Jesus said, the king's going to say to those on the right hand, come, you blessed of my father. And here at the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, the other side of the ledger, the goats. Jesus said, he'll say to those on the left, now listen to him, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You mean to tell me I could show up every time the doors are open? That I could come into this assembly and worship God and sing and pray and listen to His Word and still be lost? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Exactly. You listen well. Well, why were they lost? Let me tell you why they were lost. Because they did not do anything. That fellow that received that one talent? Look, if you only have one talent, God doesn't expect you to live up to the standard of the five-talent man. But He does expect you to do what you can do with the talent or talents that you possess. That fellow said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you hadn't sown and gathering where you hadn't scattered seed. I was afraid. So here's what I did. I went and hid your talent in the ground. And do you remember what Jesus said? You wicked and slothful servant. At least you could have taken my money, deposited it to the bankers, 
And then at my coming, I would have received it back with interest. Now listen, don't get the idea that was a compliment. No, the Lord wasn't saying, that's what I want you to do. The Lord wasn't saying, I want you to take my money, put it in the bank, and draw interest. No, He was saying, I want you to do what you can with what you have. And if you don't do that, I'm going to hold you accountable for it. Remember what I said a minute ago? It's not what you do sometimes, it's what you don't do. The folks in this picture here, they're lost not because of what they did, it's because of what they did not do. Listen, this is serious, serious business. So on the one hand, you have words of commendation. On the other hand, you have words of condemnation. Well, I don't like to hear about that. I know it. I don't either. But I can't, I can't deny it. Truth's truth, isn't it? And truth hurts. The Hebrew writer said the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. What we need to do is understand that the Word of God has the ability to pierce the heart. I'm not here to step on your toes. I'm here to take the sword of the Spirit and drive it through your heart. Why? Because that's what will bring about a difference in how we live. It's not me. It's what the message brings to the table. So these folks are lost. Words of commendation, words of condemnation. You've got eternal salvation and then you have eternal damnation. Jesus said, talking about those on the left, these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Same Greek word used for everlasting and eternal, unending. So, what's the king going to say to you? He's coming. Might come in your lifetime, might come in my lifetime, might not. The Lord might not come for another thousand years. I don't know. I don't know when He's coming, but I know this. I better be busy in His kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, on one occasion, He said, Why do you stand here idle all day? There are two reasons why we don't do what we ought to do. Number one, preoccupation. Number two, procrastination. Sometimes we got so many things going on in life, the business of the king of kings is pushed to the side. And then there are others. The intent is to get involved, to do this or to do that. The problem is, just never get around to it. So where do you stand when the king comes? Listen, when the king comes, the Bible says, in Revelation chapter 20, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And he said the books were opened. And God's going to judge us on the basis of what His Word teaches. And what Jesus is saying is, you want a home in heaven, you need to be serving. You need to be a servant of mine. And if you'll do that, you'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. On the other hand, if you're not serving and you're not doing what you can in the kingdom of God, you're not going to like what you hear on that final day. Depart, you cursed, 
into everlasting fire. So, what's the king going to say to you? You ready? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not ready. You're not ready because you're not in his body. And you don't have his blood washing away your sins. Now, you can have that. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. The promise is I give you rest. God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Would you be willing to repent of your sins, confess His name, and be buried in a watery grave of baptism, rising to walk in newness of life? Are you here today? And you're not serving in the kingdom, and you know you need to be serving. And so you have resolved right now you're going to do what you can to help the kingdom. Maybe you want the prayers of the church to help you do what you know you need to be doing. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.